Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn, of course, on Pentecost Sunday to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we'll begin at verse 14. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. This is Peter who is speaking. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Even before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through Him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put Him to death by nailing Him to the cross." But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said this about him, I saw the Lord always, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. Exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the Word of God for the people of God. And our response is, thanks be to God. I don't know if you remember a commercial. It was a commercial when I was young. And they were selling Reese's peanut butter cups. And the commercial went something like this. Somehow there was somebody who just loved chocolate. It was their their thing, evidently who just love to eat peanut butter. I mean, they just showed like this jar of peanut butter and they had a a uh, spoon and they were just eating peanut butter. And that's all they seemed to love was just peanut butter. And the chocolate-loving person and the peanut butter-loving person somehow are walking, I don't remember exactly, but they bump into each other and chocolate gets in the peanut butter. And both of them are just shocked and surprised and Your chocolate got in my peanut butter. No, your peanut butter got in my chocolate. And they somehow taste this. And all of a sudden, this combination of peanut butter and chocolate is just amazing. (laughs) And they seem to figure out something that we need to understand as we appreciate this passage today. And as we look at what I believe this passage is calling us, that when either or was given to them, either chocolate or peanut butter, Both and, when they get merged together, was a way better option. Both things are good. There's nothing wrong with chocolate or peanut butter. I love them both separately. But together, they are a dynamic duo. When you have both and, it becomes really one of my favorite candies. Neck and neck with uh, Twix, which is another both and. Cookie, caramel, chocolate. Great combinations of things. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because what I feel I am called to preach today will at first feel like an either-or message. But I want you to know right at the beginning that this is a both-and message. And I want you to hold in, hang in there to wait for the both-and. Because this message will also address something that feels so vital to what we do as a church, as part of our identity. And yet it needs to be included with another good thing that we may have let go by the wayside. We may have just focused way too much on chocolate or peanut butter. And we need to bring those things back together to see what God can do with a both and. I want you to know up front that it may be uncomfortable for you as I name the either-ors. You might be partial to one or the other. 
And I want you to know right off the bat that we are not throwing something out. We're trying to bring these things back together. We will be both and throughout this message. And yet we're going to try to put the horse back in front of the cart. I mean, think about that metaphor. Both are good. There's there's good things about a horse and a good thing about a cart. And they both have a purpose. But they need to be put together. They need to be put together in the correct order in order to function at optimal capacity. Even our Reese's peanut butter cup. If you put the peanut butter on the outside, it's way too messy. You have to go chocolate, peanut butter, chocolate. Then you can hold it and then you can eat that thing in the way that it was meant to be done. In many ways, this whole series that we've been on since Easter has led us to this sermon today. All of the Bible Project videos that you've been watching has been to get us to this sermon. Every sermon in this series has been to help us hear and to experience the Gospel, the good news in a very particular way. To see that the Gospel is the story of God's faithfulness to humanity through Israel that culminated in the faithfulness of Jesus for the sake of the world. And our passage in Acts today has been a model for this entire series where we've been going through the Hebrew Scriptures, bringing it into the story of Jesus in one of the Gospels so that we can see the full good news, the full Gospel. So let's look at our passage today. And what they were praying for and hoping for was that the fire of God's presence, the fire that had rested, uh, had led the children of Israel through the wilderness time, had rested in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple, would return once again because it had, that the wind of God that had parted the Red Sea, the, the wind of God, the, the Spirit of God, it's the same word in Greek and Hebrew, that had created all things that had hovered over the darkness at the very beginning of creation and moved through this that this wind would once again come into the temple and as the disciples are praying these symbols of fire and the rushing wind the spirit of god blows and it comes to rest not in a building but on people And the the story again, the Tower of Babel from Genesis where languages were divided and created confusion now comes together and people are hearing the praises of God in many different languages as they see this. And it gets everyone's attention. Some are amazed. Others don't understand. So they do what human beings usually do when they don't understand something. They criticize it and they make fun of it. They say, well, these guys are just drunk. But Peter stands up and preaches the very first gospel sermon in Jesus' name. So how does he structure his sermon? That's what we're going to be looking at as we begin to look forward. What does, what does what we have been, he does, what we have been doing for these past few weeks. He tells the story of God's faithfulness to Israel. He uses Joel. He goes back into the prophets. Now, does anybody remember the Hebrew word for the prophets? If you do, list that on Facebook or put it in the comment section. We'll see who's first. And I don't know, maybe I'll send you a Reese's peanut butter cup this week. 
But he uses the prophet Joel, just like we went back into the Old Testament to share the whole story. And he says, this is what God's purpose has been. He quotes from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. The Spirit has been poured out on all flesh, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he tells them the story of Jesus' faithfulness in verses 22 and through 24. He says that this Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to, 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 by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of those not having the law, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to hold him. He, you see, he went, he moved from that story of God's faithfulness with Israel into the story of God's faithfulness in Jesus and tells about the story of Jesus' ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection. He's basically saying this was a part of God's plan to rescue human beings. Then he shows this by going back into the story of God's faithfulness to Israel, this time with the writings in the book of Psalms. Does anybody remember the Hebrew word for writings? If so, put that in your comments and I don't know, maybe there'll be a prize this week. But he goes back into the Psalms and he quotes Psalm 16, 8 through 11 and Psalm 110, verse 1. And he sums it all up by telling them what God has done. He says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's it. That's the whole sermon. The first gospel sermon is the story of God's faithfulness that culminated in the faithfulness of Jesus. And it was not... Just a simple formula to get people out of hell and into heaven. No atonement theories. No Romans road to salvation, probably because Romans hadn't been written yet. No matter, no master plan of evangelism. No four points and then a nice poem to wrap up his sermon. He tells the story of faith, not a formula. Now wait. We've described the chocolate and the peanut butter. Remember, this is going to be a both and. Does the Holy Spirit use the gospel, the story of God's faithfulness to save people from hell and give them life that is eternal? Absolutely. Yes, this is both and. However, for too long, we in the church have reduced the gospel story to a formula. And in some ways, we have lost the story of our faith in the process. We have gotten the cart before the horse. Here's what I mean by formula. I'll take one that I learned a long time ago. The ABCs of the gospel. It goes like this. A. Admit I'm a sinner. B. Believe Jesus died for my sins. C. Confess my sins. And D. I am then declared forgiven. What's wrong with this? Remember, both and, here we are. I'm not trying to get rid of any of these things, but they must be put back in the correct order when they're combined. 
Do the people in our passage that we read today admit that they are sinners? Admit that they hamartia, that Greek word that means miss the mark, that they missed it, that they actually crucified the Messiah that they were waiting for? Well, verse 37 tells us that they were cut to the heart when they heard this. And they cried out, what do we do? And then Peter tells them, well, here's what you do. You repent, and then you get baptized in Jesus' name to be forgiven of sins. You receive the Holy Spirit, and you know that this gift is for everyone. There are two active actions, things that you have to do. Repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. And there are two passive actions. You receive the Holy Spirit, and you know that this gift is for everyone. Peter proclaims the gospel story of God's faithfulness in Jesus, and then the formula happens naturally. No shaming, no guilt manipulation, no little Timmy stories to tug at somebody's heartstrings, just proclaiming God's faithfulness. Now, remember, both and, chocolate peanut butter, together, Reese's peanut butter cup. We're not trying to get rid of anything here. I'm just trying to put this back in its proper order. Because somewhere along the way, about 200 years ago, the church slowly got more concerned with having people make decisions for Jesus instead of making people into disciples of Jesus. It wasn't malicious. They were trying to make the world a better place and to get people, men in particular, to be better people. To, to put down things that were out there and to be good husbands and wives, to be better fathers and mothers. And people remember that as much as they remembered that he preached to thousands in the fields all over England and there were lots of decisions made for Jesus. Now the problem with starting with a formula, with putting the cart before the horse, is threefold. First, it can reduce the need for the fullness of Scripture. All you need is the formula. You just need a few passages from Romans that are mostly ripped out of context. But, you know, you just start at Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then you just rush people over to Romans 6.28, where you say, the wages of sin is death. Oh, but the gift of God is eternal life. And then you jump them all the way to Romans chapter 10 and tell them if they confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, they will be saved. Boom. Three passages of Scripture. Just get rid of everything else. You just need three little verses. And you can get someone to make a decision. I know this is subtle, but it can be true. I, I know this formula can be great for making deciders. But we're called to make disciples. And that takes a little more time. Secondly, when we turn our faith story into a formula, we can fall into a very subtle but very dangerous and very old trap. And it's the trap of self-focus. That I, that you, that we have the essential part of being saved. That I'm the one who needs to admit. That I believe. That declared. Do you see what I'm saying here? It turns the focus of salvation ever so subtly towards what I do to become saved. But the gospel focuses on the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of Jesus that opens the door to the family of God for all people. It's in Christ. That translation didn't come about till after the resurrection, after the Reformation. 
uh, with Martin Luther and some of those, it is actually should be translated as the faithfulness of Jesus. It's because Jesus was faithful that I can even dare to believe faithful all the way to the cross and through that into resurrection life that He now offers through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's because He was faithful, not because I made a choice. Now, both and, come on now, stay with me here. We're making Reese's peanut butter cups here. Do we still have to respond? Do we have a responsibility? Of course we do. But it becomes a genuine reflex to good news instead of just an escape from bad news. And I, ter- I use that term reflex very, uh, for, for a reason. If you've ever been to the doctor's office and they test your reflexes, what do they do? They come and they tap on your knee and your, your knee moves, right? But it's a reflex. It's something like, did I do it or, or was it just a part? Yes, there's a part that we will be involved in. But it is something that God does that causes the reflex of us. I mean, we see this in that verse 37. They were cut to the heart. Now, we lose this in the Greek, but it's a Greek way of showing that God was fulfilling the promise that He had made in the prophets to circumcise the heart, to cut around the heart. God does the work of conviction. And the reflex is the what do we do? It's the repentance. It's the thing that moves us. And it moves us because it is God who is bringing about the conviction, not some form of manipulation. That leads us into the last thing. That formulas, when we start with the formula, when we get the cart before the horse, our formulas can drive our motivations way off course. If the starting point is to admit you're a sinner, it can motivate well-intentioned Christians to lead by negativity. To lead with shame and fear instead of starting with God's goodness and Christ's faithfulness all the way to the cross. I remember I even had an evangelism class and I've read books that kind of tried to help us understand evangelism by saying that I needed to make people feel so bad about their sin so they can feel so good about the gospel. I'm sorry, folks, but that's psychological manipulation. That is not evangelism. The good news starts with God's goodness and faithfulness, with God's love and His hope for all of humanity. It starts with the creative love that's found in Genesis 1 and 2. It doesn't start with humanity's rebellion in in chapter 3. Does it include humanity's rebellion and sin? Of course, both and. Reese's peanut butter cup. Peter does tell them that they conspired to kill and they actually killed the long-awaited Messiah. He does encourage them to save themselves from a corrupt generation. But he starts with God's faithfulness and Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection before he gets to declaring sin and encouraging a response. He gets the horse in front of the cart. He gets the faith story before the formula and it works brilliantly. In fact, every gospel sermon in the book of Acts follows this exact pattern where they tell the whole story and they use things and passages out of the Old Testament that leads them to call to repentance. 
It changes a little bit when they start encountering non-Jews because they have to find new connection points. They wouldn't know the story of God's faithfulness to Israel. So when you get to Acts 17 and Paul is preaching on Mars Hill in Athens, he starts with their story. He tells them they're very religious people. He's seen all their idols and altars. And he quotes from their poets, their philosophers. And then he connects it to the Jewish story and eventually to Jesus. And then he calls them to repent. But even then, he's more concerned about making disciples. In fact, when you get to Acts 19, he tries the synagogue in Ephesus. He's kicked out. And he takes those who are converts, those who have been gathered around, and he moves into a hall, the Hall of Tyrannus. And the Bible tells us that he teaches them every day for two years. It's because it's not a quick fix formula. It's a story of faithfulness. It's gospel. It's good news. Paul wanted to share the faith, not a formula. He was concerned with making disciples, not deciders. Now remember, both and, discipleship does start with the decision to yield to King Jesus. What we do, then what God in Christ has done for the whole world. And we can let Scripture be a footnote instead of a faithful story that is worthy of telling and retelling and learning and memorizing. Now you may be saying to yourself, what is the big deal, Pastor Jeff? Why are you getting all bent out of shape about this? Don't we want people to to decide for Jesus? Of course I do. Of course we do. This is both and. A decision is where discipleship starts, but it can't end there. So I want to share with you Why this is important to me, to Jeff McVeigh, to Pastor Jeff, who pastors Cross Community Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. The reason this means so much to me is because I am broken hearted. I'm broken hearted that we are clinging to a formula instead of sharing the living faith. And because we have clung to this formula, we may have lost an entire generation of people to the kingdom of God. I'm grief-stricken at the number of people. Some of them are your children who have given up on what they think is faith, but really it's just the formula that we've been throwing at them for the last 20 and 30 years. Many of them still believe in Jesus. They just won't come to church anymore. They're tired of hearing our words and not seeing our faith live. My dad was a great pastor and a great preacher and so compassionate and always leaned on the love of God strongly. He told I I had a great upbringing. My dad was a great pastor and a great preacher and so compassionate and always leaned on the love of God strongly. He told me the whole story. But he wasn't the only preachers that I had in my life. And I'm here to tell you that sometimes those guilt trips and those shames, those shaming things that other preachers would put on you, they, they leave residue that good, solid Christian work to know that God so loved me that He gave. 
Many of our kids are tired of God's wrath being used as a motivator to make a decision for Jesus or as a way to keep them in line and keep them coming back to church. Now, hear me out. Both and. Does God have wrath? Yes. Of course. I believe that God could not be a good God if the suffocation of an unarmed, handcuffed black man did not make God angry. Or that when children are sold as sex slaves to support a pornography industry, if that didn't make him angry, he wouldn't be good. Or when there are sweatshops where people are working and giving their very lives for pennies a day in third world countries. Or when genocide happens. Or when domestic violence happens. Of course God has wrath. But God's wrath is the shadow side of God's grief at our brokenness as human beings. And the gospel story is about the God who so loved the world that He gave us Jesus, not a God who was so wrathful at the world that He had to punish Jesus. Starting with God's wrath is the formula pushing our motivations off course. And it's a poor motivation for change. My dad used to say, if you have to scare someone into salvation, you have to keep them scared to keep them saved. And I found that to be true. And this generation of kids, this generation of people, we can blame them all we want, but our kids, they sense this, they intuitively know this, and they are not going to wait around and listen to our formulas anymore. They want to see our faith lived out. What they need to see and hear is the gospel, the whole story, to see discipleship happening like in verses 42 to 47 at the end where they, they're committing to the apostles' teachings. What were the apostles' teachings? It was the gospel from Israel forward to Jesus through His, His life, death, and resurrection and ascension. This was the good news. And they met together and they shared what they had and they prayed together and they served one another and they served their community and served the poor. Now the good news is is that cross-community church is doing many of these things. Remember that list before prayer? That's a lot of those Acts 42 to 47 things. We need them to see this. Have you told your kids, your, your folks who have given up on faith what? You're seeing your church do during this time. We need them to see this. And, both and, we must do a better job at discipling people. So I want you to know as I close, there are going to be some things that we're going to begin to to do to add into this beautiful list that I read to you before prayer. One is, we're going to continue these Bible Project videos through the rest of the Bible. I had this line up, and it just worked out perfectly that we would start with Genesis at Easter, and we would finish Acts right before the sermon. But I felt like, we can't just stop here. You've got to see how the themes play out from Romans to Revelation. And so, those videos are going to keep coming. It'll either be in your inbox today, or it'll start tomorrow. I'm not sure what Deidre has set up. But I want you to see the totality of the themes of God's goodness and faithfulness all throughout Scripture. And how it will culminate in His return to make all things new. Secondly, we're going to start some reading programs together. 
I want to encourage you right now or right after this sermon to download the Read Scripture app on your devices. The Read Scripture app will begin a reading program of reading through the entire Bible and it will pair it with these videos that you've already been watching. So when you get to some of those difficult passages in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, You can refer back to those videos to see where what you are reading is fitting in with the overall theme of to begin to get into this story and no more than just John 3.16. Third, we're going to organize some online meetings to begin to discuss what we are learning and to be accountable to learn the whole story. If one thing this virus has taught us online, and sometimes the hardest part is getting yourself in a car to go meet with a group of guys or ladies or or a combined group, a small group, to, to start these things. We can begin to do these on Zoom, on Messenger, on FaceTime, so that we can meet together and encourage one another to keep going in our ongoing discipleship. And then lastly, our next series that's predicting the future. No, I'm not going to bring a crystal ball out. But it's a diving deep into what do we want to see in our future relationship with Jesus. And there are some partner with us to begin to bring out. We're going to continue doing all of these things that we've been talking about. Remember, it is both and. It is horse and then cart it is telling the faithfulness of god and then there are things in a formulaic type way that help us move in partnership with what god in his gospel is doing here and now i want decisions for jesus because the gospel of god's faithfulness is proclaimed and i want to see discipleship taking place that shapes people into the very image of god both and chocolate peanut butter beautiful reese's peanut butter cup only then will we be the church of jesus christ and we are going to need all the power that the holy and the good news is That He was not just promised long ago in Joel. He was not just poured out long ago in Acts. He is given now. He is poured out on all flesh and that includes yours. And He, the Holy Spirit, is here now in this place, this moment, in your home, wherever you are around the world. The question is, will you receive Him? Would you bow your heads Close your eyes as we pray. I want to give you something to think about as you pray. Do you know someone? Do you have someone in your life and in your mind who has given up on their faith? I want you to bring them to mind right now as you're beginning and and ready for prayer. I want to ask you, what is God asking you to do? What is God asking you to say? Are you feeling the need to say something to them? Are you recognizing that maybe you have driven a formula at them instead of being with them? Have you guilted them and shamed them? Maybe there's the first thing that that needs to happen is some repentance in your life with them. Maybe you're being asked to invite them to listen to this sermon and have a discussion that lets you hear their heart and where they are. Trust that the Holy Spirit will lead you. 
And then I want to speak to those of you who may be the ones who have left faith. And for whatever reason, you stumbled onto this sermon and you haven't been able to switch off this sermon and you've heard something different. I want to ask you to pay attention to that feeling right now. Because there is a both and for you as well. You can both be frustrated at the ways a formula was misused in your life and be willing to try again to hear and experience the gospel, the faithful story of God. And I invite you today to try once more. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to You as the church of Jesus Christ. And we want to be proclaimers of Your goodness, Your faithfulness, and Your love. I just believe that a person giving their life to Jesus And living the way Jesus called us to live is the best thing a human being could do with their life right now. And I also acknowledge and realize that to say yes to Jesus, to be embraced by that love and to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, will mean that my mindset has to be completely changed. I have to repent. I have to turn 180 degrees to follow Him. I I have to confess that I have missed it. That I have not loved God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I have not loved my love. I need forgiveness. Baptism... I want to receive the Holy Spirit so that I might know that this promise isn't just for me, but is for all the world. So God, we come to You as Your church and we confess that in our good intention of seeing people make a decision for Jesus, We have let that go astray in some ways. Bring us back to the story of Your faithfulness. Help us to trust You to bring about conviction in the hearts of people who don't know You. Because when You do that, the automatic reflex is what must we do? So help us to be good shepherds at that point. And when people cry out for what must we do because they've heard of the goodness of God, May we be there to gently share with them. Oh, repent. Be baptized. Receive forgiveness. Receive the Holy Spirit. Know this is for everyone. Help us, God, to commit ourselves to Your teaching, to Your Word. To break bread together. To pray to eat and be together when we can do that after this virus with glad and generous hearts, to give of our possessions that we might meet the needs of our community around us. And might we see daily people being saved. 
God, we ask this in Your time, in Your way, And we want to be led by You into those moments. We pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus, the faithful One. Amen. Amen. Thanks for sticking with me through that both and. I hope it has been good news for you. Would you stand and receive this blessing? And now may you, my brothers and sisters, see the joy in receiving the Holy Spirit. May the Holy Spirit lead us as a church to commit to the whole Gospel, the good faithfulness of our God, who has been faithful all the way through, that led us in culminating in Jesus' faithfulness, in His ministry, in His death, in His resurrection, and His pouring out of the Holy Spirit. May we become a church of both and. And may we see daily those who are being saved. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. God bless you. Go in peace. Wash your hands. Have a great afternoon. And we'll see you online next week. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.